Action Park Media. Welcome back to the Narc and Me. And I would be remiss if I didn't start this episode by saying Happy New Year. I'm Ashley, your host. And that phrase, Happy New Year, it doesn't feel good to everybody. And I know that new beginnings can be really tough. The idea of a new beginning at all sounds really daunting. And then we kind of put our our eggs in this one basket of one day being the benchmark of a year is over. We get to put it behind us. And now we're supposed to be this new person, new year, new you, and life has transformed and we are moving into this bigger, brighter future. Well, I know a lot of you are still in a cocoon, sobbing your eyes out, trying to figure out which step is next. That can feel really overwhelming. And it can also feel diminishing of everything that you're going through. And so I wanted to start the year with this conversation, new beginnings. What does it look like? And what does it have to look like? And what does it not have to look like? Because really that's up to you. And we can use this day as a benchmark for a new mindset or a moving forward, or we can use this day as just another fucking day on the calendar and nobody cares. <laughs> it's totally up to you and there is no wrong and no right. It's whatever works for you right now. So I have my bud, Catherine Kleiss, back on the show today. I'm so excited to have Kat back. And, and in the first episode when she was on, we said she would definitely come back and we were going to talk about the new supply and all this stuff. But I actually think a better use of our time today is to talk about that new beginning and what it looks like. And you can find her on social at Katherine Kleiss and her company is Stand Coaching and she is a phenomenal coach in the recovery healing from abuse. I know this personally because she has gotten some late night texts for me. And <laughs> <laughs> so you can find her on social. Thank you so much, Kat, for coming back and having this chat with me today. Thank you so much for having me back. I'm so excited about this conversation. I know, me too, because, you know, there's there's the two sides. I think that we are constantly plagued after abuse with this feeling of wanting to move forward, wanting a happy future, but you feel like there's part of you that's like tied to a cinder block. Talk mm -hmm. to me about the duality of that that feeling and how do we start to overcome it because I fight it too. Yeah. Yeah, I think that all of us right out of a narcissistic relationship is fighting that I need to move forward. I Something needs to change. I need a new life. Like I can't do this anymore, but I also can't move forward or I can't grasp the idea of moving forward. And how do I stop looking back and idealizing what could have been? And it's just, it's, that's the challenge I think is how do you move forward? Because it's ugly and I think it's messy and I think it's kind of blind. I think the way to move forward is just stumbling until you find your footing and and just walking in a direction, any direction. Yeah, I was I did a video yesterday and I have to say that, you know, I don't personally have a lot of experience with AA, but I have some really close friends who are in AA and been working the program for 15 years, 20 years, and it works for them. And ironically, you know, 
one of the people who I am closest to in my life is in AA and she has been the most phenomenal, not only support system, but seems to get it in a way that nobody else in my life has. Because, you know, I'm I'm grateful that, you know, outside of you and this gang of people like our friend Trey and some others who we've really become deep, you know, have formed these deep friendships with, in my circle, I don't have anybody who really gets abuse to that level. But the interesting mm-hmm. thing is recovery addicts mm-hmm. get it. And, you know, I've, I've they get it. And I've spent a lot of time with them in the past year. And, you know, they quote AA to me all the time. They're like one step at a time, one day at a time, one minute at a time. And I talked about that yesterday because those steps forward to me can feel that incremental in mm-hmm. some form of time. And I know that when you're healing from abuse, I mean, there's days where you're literally counting the minutes in the beginning, right? After you go no contact, where you're like, I've made it an hour because yeah. it's, it's that withdrawal from that addiction, that love addiction that Lisa Sunny talks about. And I think the forward motion is inevitable. Right, We punish ourselves for thinking that we're not moving forward, but inevitably, if we're not going back to the narcissist or back to the abusive scenario, then you actually are moving forward, right? You definitely are. You're moving forward, and sometimes it's it's just hard to see when you're reflecting back on one day or one week or even a month. When you look back over three months or six months or a year, you'll see the progress and the growth. Um, I... I think it's better to be reflecting back quarterly um, or annually, you know, because otherwise we just beat ourselves up. Like we, we don't think we're moving. If you look in the mirror that day after the gym and ha- don't see the results that right. day, you're like, nothing's happening. But that's not true. Right. That was like me. I got the walking pad for under my desk and I walked, you know, seven miles the first day and five or six the second day. And I said to my best friend, I was like, my jeans aren't fitting any different. She's like, it's two days, sis. It's two days. I'm like, yeah. Oh, yeah, you're right. Like, I feel like I've done all of this stuff, but it's only two days. And that's how hard we are on ourselves. And I also think, too, that even if you're stuck in the rumination phase, because you hear it, I hear it, we hear it all day long, I'm stuck and you're still looking back, that doesn't actually mean you're going backwards because the the more time is on your side and the more you have time away from them, even if you're still stuck a bit in that ruminating phase, things start to dull out a little bit. It's still progress. Totally. Yeah, and you know, and, and that's the thing, we get, we get stuck and like, you know, I'm not moving, I'm not moving. And it's like, same thing, it's only been two days. It's only been two days, no contact. Mm-hmm. And and part of the ruminating, I think, is the processing. There was so much subtle grooming and covert manipulation and all of these, oh my gosh, countless instances where you thought you were in the wrong and now all of a sudden there's that epiphany at two in the morning. Right. You know, because well, you're something to sleep. clicked. Yeah. Something clicked again. And and so it's it's a series of epiphanies and realizations also. So it feels like maybe you're obsessing and ruminating, but there, there are tools for that too. Uh, therapy helps so much. I'm in therapy and when I feel, my therapist and I try to externalize those things. She gives me tools to separate this anxious thought or this obsessive thought from myself and who I am and, and kind of 
get it out of my body, right? So there's things that we can do for these as we heal. Yeah, I think that's really important. Cody Isabel talked about that too, who's a neuroscientist, like naming it, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like naming yes, the grief. Yes, she had me name it. We drew it, right? It's a, it, We've a, objectified it. We externalized it. Yeah. I think that's a really important step in that moving forward. And I guess I can just go ahead and ask you the big question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> how? How do you start moving forward? Like what is a new beginning? Like let's what let's define new- what is the new beginning, right, for an abuse survivor because – it's a really delicate balance. You know, I start every video on TikTok saying I'm a survivor of narcissistic abuse and there's a danger in over-identifying. I do that personally because I feel like as obviously somebody who takes in content as well, I want to know what it's about. Like I hate when I'm a minute and a half into a video and I'm like, this is what it's about. I don't, I'm not interested. <laughs> yeah, so let's get to it. Right? I just wasted a minute and a half of my life. So I want the viewer to know because then they're going to either keep watching, this is content for me, or keep scrolling. But yeah. we have to be careful that, of that too. Like we are abuse survivors. You are a survivor, a survivor of abuse. I'm a survivor of abuse. But you are also a mom. I'm a dog mom. Like we have careers, all this other stuff. Let's let's work on defining what the new beginning looks like. Yeah. So the, the new beginning looks like whatever you want it to look like. I think that the new beginning is a lot of identity discovery and self-discovery because you're going to notice that you've lost a lot of old parts of yourself that maybe you don't want to bring back. Or maybe there's parts of your old self that you lost and you do want to bring back. Maybe you just want an entirely new start altogether. And you're you realizing a lot of the old parts about you were not were not necessarily authentic anyway. Example, people pleasing, right? Lacking of boundaries. Maybe that was part of you only because you were unaware that you were doing it for validation or attention or or, or some type of form of connection, right? So you're learning yourself now. Why do I do the things that I do? And a new beginning, like I said, it can be whatever you want. It's about exploration. What And I like to think about it in, in exploring three different aspects of yourself, your mind, body, and your soul. Okay, who are you now physically? Do you like what, you know, you got to get your body moving. So are you, are you a runner? Do you want to go to the gym? Do you want to join a dance class? Do you want to join a sport? What do you want to do? Get your body moving, do something physically. Um, maybe it's yoga, right? Maybe it's something old, maybe it's something new, right? Your mind, what can you do for your mind? And right now I'm going to tell you self-help books will be like the best thing you can do for yourself. So you're in this stage of discovery and healing and they have all these books out there. So I think it's important to pay attention to your mind too. Is there a book growing that in a healthy way? Is there a, Sorry? Book, is there like a number one book you would say get started with? Number one book, 100%, is 101 Essays to Change the Way You Think. I am reading it again for like the fourth time. (laughs) It is so amazing. Brianna Wiest speaks to my soul. Uh, So it's a series of 101 different essays. And the way that she phrases things just kind of, you can't not become more self-aware reading it. You can't not become more emotionally intelligent reading it. So um, I think it's, it's healing it's thought provoking. So I like to start my day with an essay from her. Um, tomorrow's essay is about social intelligence. 
yesterday's essay was emotional intelligence. So it's just, it's good. Okay. Um, and then the last thing is soul. Are you meditating? Are you praying? You know, do you go to church? Whatever it is for you or whatever that looks like for you. Reiki, Buddhism, like dive into your soul also. Right. And we, we do hear about that a lot. And Cody Isabel talked about that. And I actually watched Jonah Hill's special. Have you seen that? Yeah. Oh, it's amazing. So go on Netflix and watch Jonah Hill's special. I'm going to have to Google it and find out the name because – oh, Strut. That's what it's called, Strut. Okay. So Jonah Hill out. did a documentary where he interviewed his therapist. And it's mm. amazing. You know, and, and the lesson from it is the deep love and friendship that they have for each other, this connection that they have. And what I love is unlike normal therapists, he draws pictures. Like you were saying, your therapist, you guys drew pictures. He, they give actionable things to do. And it sounds very similar in his methodology. And he mm -hmm. never understood why people would leave talk therapy and and not have any answers because the, the therapist is trying to provoke answers out of you. But he said, mm -hmm. but people would leave and still not feel like they have answers. And then Jonah Hill astutely pointed out, and then you're, you know, in his sort of funny phrase of like, you know, dumb fucking friends with their free advice, they're yeah. the ones giving you all the answers. You know what you should do, dude. Um, and I loved it. And so the therapist actually has been creating doodles his entire career, and they are actionable things that you can do when you go home that night. And he did talk about this way of therapy that you're describing, which is from the bottom up. Because talk therapy is usually like, you know, from the top down, which is starting with the mind and then your emotions and all of those things. Mm -hmm. But when you start from the bottom up, you start with the body, which yeah. to me just, it was an aha moment because between that and talking to Cody Isabel, where we learned that trauma is stored in the body, that there's four places mm -hmm. that it's stored and only one is in the mind, what you kind of doubling back to what you said earlier, get moving. To me, mm -hmm. the new beginning, it's not about weight loss. It, that's not the new beginning we're talking about for 2023. It's not about changing your body, but it is about changing how your body works in relation to you and the triggers and the yeah. way the trauma is stored. And so mm -hmm. I'm with you. I think getting moving is essential. And for me, you know, I'm the girl who, you know, I don't really go to the gym. I'm a retired dancer. I don't know if you know that about me. But um, I didn't. I danced 40 hours a week by the time I was eight years old. Like I danced a lot and I danced growing up in New York and it was a lot. And so I have a love-hate with, you know, too much movement. But I feel really good after I do it, right? Yeah. And I feel really good if I go to the gym, but I don't ever push myself to go. So I took the simple act, and that was a walking pad for underneath my desk. It was $350, which I know is a lot of money, but it's an investment. And now when I do my work, I stand at my desk and I walk five to seven miles a day. And you know what? I'm not going to beat myself up if there's a day that I walk one or two miles. But those are the little things right. you can do, right? You know, for me, I'm tied to my desk all day because I've got clients and calls. But for someone else, that could just be a walk outside. That could be your first step in your new beginning is a 20-minute walk. There is yeah. also something, at least for me, I think you'd probably agree, but there is something unexplicably healing about being in nature. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I know not everybody has this luxury, but for me, you know, my house backs up to woods, you know, and there are days where it literally occurs to me, 
I'm making myself crazy. These thoughts won't stop in my head. I literally need to go throw myself in the woods mm-hmm. and go for a stroll. And there's something yeah. really cathartic about that, resetting about it, especially if you're able to quiet your mind and listen. Mm-hmm. Just listen to the sounds around you. Yeah. And you said something that was so key that I heard when you said it was an investment, that walking pad. Take that word into every aspect of this healing journey, right? Like this new beginning is about investing in yourself. Yes. Financially, physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, like you take the time and the money and the resources. Never feel bad about spending money on something that's going to better you in your mind, body, or soul. That is an investment and it will always pay itself back. But I loved what you said about taking a walk in the woods because there's something so calming about just processing while walking, whether I'm like on the phone or I'm listening to a podcast or something, if I get out and I'm breathing in that fresh air, it affects your mental health. Your physical health directly affects your mental health. It's so clear. The studies are there. Yeah. And I actually think for me, when I feel triggered, that's the only way that I can bring down my central nervous system is to move because, and it might honestly be because I am so, you know, stuck in the house a lot between client calls and work and all that stuff, like I said before, it might actually be me pacing around downstairs, but I have to physically move to get the thoughts to process. And if I can take it out back onto the patio and like you said, get some fresh air. But if you are in a place where you can even just go stand outside and tell your mind to stop, I know it sounds Mm -hmm. silly, but literally tell your mind, okay, stop. Okay, stop. And the more you do that, it actually starts to work. Because for me, my my crazy, you know, gerbil mind starts going when I lay down to go to sleep. And I have gotten into this pattern where I'm like, okay, stop. And I can get myself now to literally my brain just go, it's like a off switch. Like it gets quiet. I know it's still running in the background, but Mm -hmm. it gets quiet and I can listen to my sound app. I can listen to the dog's breathing. And that I think has come from the last year of me having to repeatedly tell myself, okay, stop. And that might be standing out back. And when you do stop, the thing that works is, you know, we, ironically, even though we're talking on a podcast, you hear that um, two ears, one mouth, like it allows Mm -hmm. you in that moment to absorb what's going on around you. And that helps change the narrative of that monkey mind, you know, obsessing, ruminating, those thoughts that we have about what are they doing now? Who are they with? Are they doing the things that we did together? If you stop and you're just listening, listen to the birds chirp, listen to the wind, a plane overhead, whatever else, it helps your brain to sort of change and shift into a new focus. And I think that's a place that we we get stuck where we look at, you know, I can't get my mind off of it. Well, you know, you've got to change that path into a new beginning of what your brain's going to start thinking about next. Yeah. And, and, and what you're saying is basically that it's the evolution of healing. So that's why maybe at first you don't feel like you're moving in a direction, but as you're walking the walk, you learned about yourself. Hey, I'm ruminating now and this is something that works for me. Going outside or going for a walk or telling my brain to stop, like you're learning yourself and your triggers. And I think that's important for people to take away from what you said because we all have triggers and part of healing is, okay, this is this trigger, it popped up, 
and this is what helps me with it. This is what helps me heal with it, heal it. So now you have that tool in your tool belt. Next time it comes around, bam, there's growth. I know what to do now. I've done this before, right? I have the tools I need to dive into my triggers, where they come from, how to heal them. Something that I like to do is dance. If I'm just like between clients, I put my volume at 100% and I just like blast music and I get out of my head and I get out of my emotion and I just like dance around in my living room like a crazy person for like 20 minutes and I'm reset and I'm ready to go again. Right. So that's something that works for me. I love it. And so let's talk about that self-discovery because to Mm -hmm. your point, that is, it's a big one, but it's also a bit of a tough one. You know, there's a lot of things that, we tell ourselves we can't do. For me specifically, I learned to ski when I was 40 because my abuser basically, not even basically, literally said, you know, you can learn to ski with me or he's a snowboarder or I might just move up to Mammoth for the winter and I'll see you again in the spring. You know, and it was like not cool. I know now Mm -hmm. what that was and what he was doing, but you know, and like every other manipulation, it worked. I was taking off two days a week. I went to ski lessons like it was my job. And mm-hmm. when our relationship ended, I didn't, you know, there were things I didn't pick up until later because it took me that nine months to go no contact. It was like nine months of us separating our life. And eventually I picked up my skis and he was like, what are you doing? And I said, I'm going on a ski trip. And that was something for me that I was so emotionally tied to. We had skied so much. We'd even moved to Colorado for a month at one point so we could ski more. And when he first left me, the thought of skiing sent me into a hysterical tizzy. I mean, I could never do it again. It was going to be too triggering, couldn't handle it. And then by the next year, I planned a ski trip with some friends and went and picked up those skis. And you know what? I went to the top of the mountain by myself because they weren't up yet. So I got there right when they opened. I took the gondola. I went to the top of the mountain. I sat down and I sobbed hysterically. Mm-hmm. A couple people passed and asked me if I was okay. And I said, no. And they understood. I wasn't physically hurting. I was at the top. I hadn't gone down yet. They mm-hmm. let me be. And I skied down. Hysterical. Goggles fogging up. Ridiculous. Like just dumb. But I skied all day. I skied with my friends. I skied for three days. And now we're on ski season year two. And it's mine. And I'm going with my best friend and her family and her kids and the whole thing. And like, I will be skiing. And these mm-hmm. self-discovery moments can come with a lot of emotional triggers and everything else. But mm-hmm. my long-winded point is we tell ourselves a lot we can't, right? When we start the healing journey, like I can't ever do this again. It'll remind me of this person or I'm not capable Mm -hmm. of doing this alone or whatever the excuses are that we have for ourselves. But I think the most powerful part of the journey is exactly what you said is the self-discovery part because you get to define Mm -hmm. who you are all over again, right? You get to be anything you want anybody you want and it's not in that narcissistic way of changing a mask it's just finding the pieces of yourself that you're comfortable retaining and being those and for me one of them is being a skier I I say this a lot with my clients because I feel like you're right people go into they leave and now it's like I can't do this or I can't do this or but what about all these good times and we did so much good together and I learned this and we traveled here and I said bring them 
bring those things. Yeah. Bring it if you want it. Uh, you know, there are a lot of things that happened in my relationship that were good habit changes that he and I did together. Ways in which my life improved, different recipes that we tried. We got fun, fun doing this and cooking and, and quitting this habit and all those things. I brought all that with me. Right. Those were the best parts, you know? Um, and it's people come into your life for a reason, a season, or a lifetime. And while abuse is dramatic and there's a lot of healing, dramatic's not even the right word, you know, it's extreme and there's a lot of healing, a lot of it's heavy and negative. There are things that you can bring with you that you learned from it about yourself or about your life or about your desires or things that you like or don't like. Um, bring them. Yeah. You don't have to dro drop them. And that that absoluteness, I feel like a lot of us go into that place. I know I do where it's very much like I will never do this again. Right. I can never allow this. This I I was in therapy once and my therapist was like she said something like those are a lot of can't statements or a lot of like like a lot of there's a lot of facts in my mind that I'm not questioning that are just like no, I can't. I you know. And so to I had to write them out. These absolute the statements in my mind. Mhm. Mm yeah. You know, a friend said to me recently, and I was like, oh, you know, when friends just have like that, so succinct, that moment where you're like, fuck. <laughs> he said, you know, <laughs> he goes, you know, it's just weird. Like, whether we like it or not, the universe just has a way of taking us to where we want to go. Or sorry, I just butchered it. So he said, the universe has a way of taking us where we need to go, not necessarily where we want to go. Mm-hmm. It's true. And I was like, where we need to go. Because, you know, all of us who have been through domestic violence, whether it be by a narcissist, a sociopath, a cluster B, whatever it is, every one of us has asked ourselves, why? Why did I need to experience this? What, mm -hmm. like, what good came of this? And why was I the person who had to be the recipient of all of this? And yeah. I, I personally don't think there's a place for abuse with anyone with ever. But mm -hmm. he's not wrong in the way that I, I won't ever say there's anything good that came out of this because I am a changed person in a lot of good ways, but I didn't want to change in any of mm -hmm. these ways. You know what I mean? Like I know all of us feel like there's little pieces of us that we lost that we can never get back. That's yeah. what I'm getting at. Like the ability to feel joy in the same way or not questioning other people, a level of honestly innocence that yeah. we can't reclaim, right? That innocence is yeah. gone. And it's like yeah. so far beyond the one we had in a childlike state. Like this is this is an ability to just look at people, love them and trust them without any questions. And taking that away from another human, I think yeah. is the most deplorable action ever. But I will say that we don't have a choice, right? We were put in this. For some reason yeah. in the universe, we were put in this. We didn't get a choice. So we have to acknowledge that there are some benefits to it. And the benefits yeah. are the ability, right, to like mm -hmm. see this in other people, heal ourselves. Mm -hmm. I would, yeah, I know for a fact I love who I am today much more than I like who I was before the abuse. Not that I'm saying abuse is justifiable by any means, um, but it, it 
definitely brought me into awareness. First of all, it brought me to a point like you're just existing and you're not living your life. You're kind of like walking around existing and it's time to wake up and be intentional with what you want out of this life. Um, so it really, it really, and you know, kind of bring us back to what we were talking about earlier with people in AA or in recovery, understanding a lot. I think when you hit that rock bottom, you get to that place of honesty with yourself Yeah, and it's going to make or break you. So there's silver linings to these experiences. If you want to look at, if you want to look at abuse from a growth mindset perspective, which I think we all should, it's how is this going to make me better? What tools can I use to bring this in the future? And some ways in which I believe it made me better is, like I said, it brought me into an awareness. So it got me on the the track of self-discovery and self-awareness. I now have boundaries, which I didn't know I didn't have. (laughs) I I learned about people pleasing and why that's actually a trap. And I was so unhappy and unauthentic being such a giver. Me too. Um, Yeah, I wasn't honoring myself. Yeah, fuck people pleasing. And then anxiety with giving all the time and and trying to be responsible for everyone else's emotions, which is not our responsibility. It's a, that's a lot of anxiety. And I learned about the ego, but at the end of the day, you're right. There's a piece of me that's gone and will never come back. I will never look at humans the same way as I did before I went in. Everyone had my trust and like there was this blind loyalty and innocence and trust that I had towards the goodness of humanity and mankind. And that was stolen from me. Yeah. And I can't unknow what humans are capable of doing yeah. and how some humans are, they, they're on this world and they do not connect to us the way we do to others. And they do not empathize the way we do. And that's something that, you know, is, has jaded me a bit. But Well, it's one of those things, once you see it, you can't unsee it. Yeah. And once you have been with a narcissist or exposed to a narcissist or sociopath, psychopath, like I said, cluster B, any of that, you know, I know there's this, you know, big social uproar on the side of the diagnosed saying, you know, stop painting us as bad people or things like that. But the reality is they do bad things to other people. And once you have been in it and once you have experienced it, to your point, you you just can't unsee it. It changes who you are forever. So let's let's get back to the the new beginning because I love that you said that it kind of gave you a purpose and a drive because I do think there are a lot of us and I I teeter back and forth between being where you're at, love like okay, I got this. I've come so far. Like this is who I'm intentional. I know what I want. I'm going to keep working. I'm reaching my, I'm reaching my goals in every way other than my personal Mm -hmm. life. And then I also feel like there are times where I'm like, I'm just existing. You know, it's the holiday Mm -hmm. break. I've had off two weeks. I think I've left the house three times. Mm -hmm. I've got food. I don't really need to go anywhere. I don't see anyone. I've been what I lovingly refer to as cocooning, which I think I need. But when you start to have those moments of like, okay, I need to get really intentional with myself. Mm -hmm. I need to start making a plan for my future. Mm -hmm. What's that first step look like? I guess the first step is a realization. Um, yeah, I think, I think the first step is 
just the realization. I guess there's a fire. There is a fire burning in us, right? All of us. And it's, it's like, I think that we mask it with a lot of lies. Oh, I can't do that. Or it's not the right time. Or who am I? And I, I, but I think that fire is there. I think it's always there. I think that we just have to do the work to put down the, the voices in our head, the narrative, the story that we're telling ourselves in our head that's getting in the way of letting that fire burn. Um, so and I think habit. that's the first step. The habit, you know, the habit of the grief too. Like that's a hard one to break because the grief will hang on as long as you let it. And I'm not saying the grief isn't valid because we all know, everybody knows, I grieved hard for a very long time. And sometimes it pops back up again. But sometimes I have to tell myself like, okay, I can do this. Like I got to let go of the grief because that's not happening to me anymore. And I've got to take first steps to find what life looks like and sometimes happiness can sound almost like I don't know I think people have a hard time with this idea of like oh I need to be happy because everyone tells you Mm -hmm. that you deserve to be happy you will be happy again you need to be happy look for all the things to be grateful for like it almost feels sometimes like an assault if Mm. that's if that makes sense yeah well you know and the thing is happiness isn't a permanent state Right. It's it's a flow that we flow in and out of. And it does feel like you're doing life wrong if you're not happy. Or like you said, where you you didn't leave the house that much in the last like holiday season. Okay, that's fine. I think that that it's an ebb and flow, but it's about having purpose in your life. Maybe today doesn't have much purpose. Maybe this week my purpose is to binge watch Netflix. But like (laughs) overall, what's my purpose in life? What's driving me in my dream? Yeah. And so, okay. So now we are all, we're all collectively going to get really intentional, right? That's Mm -hmm. our new beginning is the abuse sucked and the grief sucked. And what we went through. Grief for a minute. Please talk about grief. I'm really good at grief. As you were talking about grief, I wanted to just jump in and say that grief is extra tricky when it comes to abusive relationships because. When you're grieving the loss of a human that is gone now, there's a level of closure. Yes. But then you hear about grieving, say, a parent with Alzheimer's. Alzheimer's. They're still physically there, but their mind's not. Right. Right. This narcissistic person is causing grief in your life in so many ways and that you're trying to grieve the loss of who they are as they're standing in front of you the idea of who they could be or who they've portrayed themselves to be, right? Mm -hmm. But then you're also grieving the loss of your identity. Yes. Your friends, maybe your life that you once knew, the personality traits you once had, the things that made you bubbly and lovely. Like you're you're trying to grieve an era almost. Yeah. Um, It's like a BCAD type thing, narcissism. I agree with you. I think, you know... I actually think it's the hardest type of grief. You know, I have had some really incredible relationships in my life that have unfortunately ended with that person leaving the planet, right? My grandparents, I had a very close friend in my 20s who committed suicide. You know, I, I have family members who've passed. We, we've all experienced it. It is the unfortunate 
part of life that we can't change mm-hmm. is that there's going to be loss. But to yeah. your point, we're losing another person that brought something beautiful into our life. We chose to have that person in our life, which meant yeah. they brought something to it. And it is the loss of the person, the relationship, the thing that you gained, you know, whether that be love or support or, you know, maybe they were your, you know, really funny uncle and you just liked, you know, that feeling yeah. you got when you were around them, whatever. This is a this is a type of grief that I believe should be criminal mm. because you are not just grieving a relationship lost. You're grieving that you were lied to, that the person manipulated you and gaslit you into believing there's something that they're not. You're grieving yeah. the whole life that was future faked, whether yeah. they told you they were going to marry you, have kids with you, whatever it was. And then most mm. importantly, you're grieving, well, not not most importantly, there's other things on this list, particularly where you lived, the friends that you had, because your group gets really small after abuse. There are so many things you're grieving, but the most important part is, or the toughest part is your, like you said, you're grieving yourself. You feel yeah. like a shell of yourself when they are mm-hmm. gone. You have been yeah. emotionally and sometimes physically decimated. Yeah. And that is and maybe, a different Maybe kind you of grief. made it to this this point where you're, you stayed in the marriage for decades and decades, and now you're grieving the loss of your youth. Yeah. Oh God. For me, it was my fertility, you know, and I have an episode coming up with, with SJ and we're going to talk about that. But, you know, I, I have talked about this publicly in videos. Like I felt like I got set back to the beginning when I heard that after you know, a couple of months with someone else, he got her pregnant when we had this really difficult infertility journey, you know, and all judgments aside, because like we can all talk about the crazy making of a narcissist getting someone pregnant within the first couple of months like that and Mm -hmm. and not accidentally, you know what I mean? Like that's a whole other thing that we will discuss and, you know, in another episode, but grieving that, grieving the children that you do have and the abuse they they witnessed or the ones that you wanted and the narcissist ran out the clock. Like for me, mm-hmm. I can't have them anymore. Now I'm too old. So, you know, there's just, the grief is so heavy and that's why we both know how hard this new beginning can feel. Mm-hmm. And let's jump to a whole other topic, which is part of the new beginning which is mm-hmm. trusting people again, potentially mm. dating again, making yeah. friends again. Like how, mm. let's talk about getting out into the world because yeah. the world itself after abuse feels like a terrifying place. So I went out the other day, I had to run an errand and I, I shouldn't use this word in joking because of the seriousness of what we all discuss with mental illness. But I went out and I actually, I saw all these people were just like out walking around and doing stuff. And I had just to pick something up. I had this errand and I looked around and there were people everywhere and they were laughing and they were doing stuff. And the thought in my head is, look at all these psychopaths out of the house. Like not really psychopaths, not funny to joke about that. But it was like, what are all these people doing? And who are they doing it with? And like, like, it almost felt foreign to me to see that people have a life out of the house because I have been so insulated for so long since my abuser left and because I work from home and we all experienced COVID and got into these new patterns. So let's talk about ripping that Band-Aid off 
and getting back mm. out there into the world. The first step, I don't know, for me is just dipping our toe into the mm -hmm. pool of trust. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think you should start with safe people, you know, uh, start with the relationships that are that the people that appear like the healthiest, the kindest, the safest work on trusting them, putting establishing trust in the sense of maybe telling them something vulnerable. Right. Um, you know, and again, you don't need to go to like on a first date and tell some stranger something vulnerable. Start with somebody you trust, your best friend. Tell them something vulnerable. And um, I also think practicing like your boundaries that. too, right? Right. right. Carrie and I were talking about that with practicing your boundaries. First time you lay a boundary is going to feel like death. It will be the hardest <laughs> yes. thing you've ever done. And try, it will be a lot easier if you do it on somebody safe that you know isn't going to gaslight you. Yeah. Okay. Or Carrie's suggestion, the cashier at the dollar store that you'll never see again. You know? <laughs> yes. So it's like so low risk that who cares? Yeah. Practicing but boundaries. Say, Go ahead. I was going to say, if you're, if you're trying to walk this journey of healing and trusting again, and you feel like you're doing it all wrong, that's good. <laughs> that's right. how we all feel. Yes. We all feel. You know, and I like that, you know, set a boundary with the lady at the dollar store. I like that because, you know, I, like you, I just had this blind faith in all humans, you mm -hmm. know, and I could just talk to anybody. I mean, mm -hmm. I don't care. I'll talk to the guy sitting on the corner. Actually, I'd prefer talking to the guy sitting on the corner. I'll probably have the most fascinating conversation with him versus, mm -hmm. you know, somebody I, and I know sometimes like, you know, I want to explore and learn about people. And I was always the girl who would, you know, say hi to the person in line or yeah. like talk to the girl. You know, I think it's become this weird thing that we don't do, but like I strike up conversations with the people next to me at the nail salon. Sometimes they look at me like I'm crazy, but like we're just sitting there. Let's just talk and get mm -hmm. to know each other, you know? And I think, for a long time after abuse, I wasn't going to open my mouth and say anything to anyone, anywhere. And I just hear that. you so much. Like, I grew up being, like, talking to everyone. My parents would make fun of me for it. I'm like the yeah. kid that goes up to strangers in restaurants. And, yeah. and I, my dad would say, you can make friends with anybody. It's never been an issue. It's never been an issue in my life. And now I'm in therapy and like my therapist my homework with my therapist is like okay say hi to three people today yes because I don't want to speak to anybody no and that's what we do no me either I don't want to talk to anybody and sometimes when people talk to me I look at them like what the fuck are you doing yeah what why are you are why are you talking to me yeah. um yeah. so I think that's what do you want from me? yeah what do you want what do you want from me what are you more importantly what are you going to do to me yeah. Because what lie that, are you telling right yes, now? Yes. Right. Mm -hmm. I don't believe anything out of your mouth right now. Yeah. So I think you're absolutely right. So let's start. If we're going to put together an action plan for our beautiful survivor community, let's start with those simple things. Like I love your your therapist recommend, recommendation of say hi to three people. Say hi. Just hi. Just hi to somebody in the grocery yeah. store. Right? Say hi. <laughs> I think we need to almost relearn that we can trust people to a degree. We can trust them because yeah. now we're armed with the knowledge of what to look for. Mm -hmm. Before we were blindly well, yeah. trusting. 
Yeah. So, so that's what I was going to say this, this whole healing journey, just this conversation of trusting people. Again, I've come through like evolutions of realization where I'm like ping ponging through extremes. Yes. And my, my first extreme was like, I need to be able to understand all the red flags and spot people and tell when someone's authentic and when they're lying and all of these things. And I have all these, these boundaries and stipulations around like what I, who can and cannot talk to and, and all of that. And, and those boundaries at some point became a prison, yes. right? They were to protect me, but then they were a prison I couldn't get out of. And my therapist had to help me say hi to three people, right. you know? Uh, so you get to the point where it's, it's okay. Maybe I can't trust everybody, but I can trust myself. Right. I can say hi. And I know that if somebody crosses a boundary, I'll know how, not even crosses a boundary. Maybe it's not there yet. If somebody does something that makes me feel bad, I'll lay that boundary or I'll discontinue the relationship or I'll advocate for myself or whatever it is. I can trust me now because that, yes, that's it. Yeah, I have boundaries and, and I protect myself now. I have a healthy enough sense of narcissism that you're not going to walk all over me or exploit me or hurt me. Right? Like you're not going to fool me. That's not going to happen. No. So I can trust myself to say hi to people. And that's the first step. You just nailed it. Realizing that we actually have the information and the tools that we need to trust ourselves means mm -hmm. that it's safe to talk to other people again. Because we so yeah. look externally of like, are these people going to hurt me? Are they going to gaslight me? Are they going to manipulate me? That mm -hmm. we don't stop to give ourselves that credit of, well, they're not because I'm not going to let them. Right. I have a boundary well, for myself. I'm not going to let people do this to me again. Exactly. And and you know I had an incident when I, with dating yeah. recently. Let's talk about so dating. I was, yeah. I was so nervous that okay, yeah, I can see gaslighting and I and I can I know manipulation. I speak about it, but if it happened to me, how do I know my mind won't play tricks on me? And right. that my mind won't go into cognitive dissonance without me knowing. And so I end up in a situation, I'm dating this guy very briefly, go on a few dates a few weeks in and he, he's gaslighting me and I went into cognitive dissonance. But like you said, I have the tools now. Mm -hmm. I had the tools I needed to see if, am I in cognitive dissonance and how do I get myself out of cognitive dissonance? I have the support system. I went to you and others. Mm -hmm. So at the end of the day, the tools are there. Yeah. Like you said, you can't unknow what you know. I've seen it now. I know it now. I've developed the tools now and I can trust. So that experience, although it was awful, it was really good for me to be like, okay, you can't lose these tools. You have them. No, it, it sucked because it was not a great situation, but it just gave you yeah. that confidence to know that you can draw the line and that you can walk away yeah. and you're just fine and you're not trauma bonded. Not yet. Right. You know, you were... Okay. And so let's talk about dating because that's a subject because we're, we're here. And this is going to be a little bit longer of an episode because we're going to just talk about dating. And yeah. so dating is terrifying. And mm -hmm. it is, you know, again, this pool of can I trust these people at all? And do I want to trust these people? And I think to all to our conversation, trusting ourselves is the most important thing. But let's tackle the big question first. My big question that, and I get this question a lot, and I know how I feel about it, but I want to know how you feel about it. I'm a survivor of abuse. I don't function the same 
I don't look at life the same. Do I just go ahead and tell them right away? When do I tell them that I've been through all of this? And you and I have the added layer of we educate all day long on abuse. So we're going to have to figure out when we have that conversation too. But for just a regular survivor who is just Mm -hmm. getting through it and trying to move on, let's talk about how to navigate getting to know someone and the right times to... Mm -hmm. To tell the person, because I do think it's important information to know. I think it's important to know if someone's been through all of this, because Mm -hmm. otherwise a lot of it doesn't make sense. Their reactions, because they're going to be hypervigilant. They're going to potentially have reactions to things that maybe they didn't need to, or they pull back and withdraw. So it is Mm -hmm. important information, but when do we spill the beans on what we've been through? That's a really hard question. Um, if you're to the point where you've you've done a lot of healing individually and you're feeling ready to, to date and get back out there, it's important to understand that there's only so much healing you can do alone until you're in a relationship that will trigger those parts of you that have been hurt. So once you get in a dynamic with another person, those triggers, those relationship triggers are going to be tested. So it is important that the person you're dating understands things will come up. I'm working towards healing. And um, this is what I need from you while I'm doing that. When to have that conversation is, it depends on where you're at in your journey, I think. For me, a couple years ago, I was having that conversation really early on because I was still dealing with a lot of things. I feel like it, it was... I remember someone said something to me once. I don't know if it was a a therapist or I heard it somewhere. And it was like, who would you be without your trauma? And I feel like that's what I feel like. I am an abuse survivor. This is who I am now. Right. And I am not ashamed of it. And it's not going anywhere. If you want to be with me, you will need to be patient. Point blank. The only person that's going to be with me after abuse will be patient. Now where I'm at, I don't tell people as early on as maybe I would have in the past because I don't have as many triggers coming up uh, as I did maybe in those first few years. Um, but also, you know, it, like you just said, for us with the, so- the social media, you just look up my name and you'll see I'm a survivor of abuse. Yeah. You just go on Instagram. Um, so, so it's hard. When do you bring it up? I would say the sooner, the better almost because it will really show you this person and how capable they are to be with you. If it's too heavy, then they should go find someone without trauma. Good luck. But if not, it's like, they're going to need to be patient and understanding. I almost feel like, and I am not advocating for going out there and telling them that you're an abuse survivor on a first date. I don't think it's appropriate for a first date because if you look at the other personal things in your life, you wouldn't tell those on the first date either. But I think, you know, as you get to know them in the first month or two months, yeah, you. I think that is an important thing to your point because there are going to be triggers and they are going to test your ability to trust and have faith and be in it. I kind of look at it now as a screener, right? It's the same mm. as if I don't drink. I'm vegan. So for me, that's a line. You know, there's 
there's all kinds of different lines that we have in relationships, right? Like, I don't like cats or you know, I, I personally do like cats, but you, you know what I'm saying? The <laughs> metaphor. We all have yeah. those things that we're going to go into a relationship with. There's men and women you're going to meet like, oh, well, if you don't exercise, then we not, it doesn't work for me. Or you see on dating profiles, right. no smokers. We all have those things, right? Our trauma doesn't have to be that we are damaged goods because we're actually the ones working to heal, which I think is an, an incredible journey and really respectable. But I look at it a little bit as like a screener. If somebody can't handle that and they're like, sorry, can't handle it. I'm not interested. You have too much baggage. Then by the way, don't let the door hit you in the ass because that is not the type of person I want to be with. And I almost, I almost think there is a benefit not to rushing into the conversation. You have to know your audience and like, is this person someone that you actually see potentially any kind of future with or is this just like a dude for the minute or a girl for the minute if it's somebody Mm -hmm. that you think to yourself like I could really I like this person I could spend more time with them then find find the right way for you to be honest because so I went on a date so I've been on two dates two in the just over a year and a half since he's been gone the first one way too soon everybody was pressuring me You've got to get out there. You've got to date. And I was such a disaster. I wasn't healed at that point. I I was still hearing from him from time to time. And I just kind of, it was like a spinning top. And you could just send me in a direction. And I was just going to go there. Because I was too weak. And I don't mean weak, like mentally weak. But I was so drained that I couldn't even make a choice for myself. And so somebody would say, you have to do this. And it would be like, okay, fine, whatever. Mm -hmm. You know, I was just so drained, I think is the right word. So I went on a date with this guy, Steve. I'll say his real name because he is now (laughs) one of my best friends. And he doesn't listen to my podcast, but he would be okay with me telling the story. So I went on a date with Steve and we met on Bumble. And he was, he's, by the way, a phenomenal guy. And his girlfriend now is amazing. And I love them both. And in conversation, we went on a walk. was our first date. A walk around the hike and bike in Austin. And he asked me if I wanted kids. And it was just, it was a throwaway question for him. It was just a question, you know, seeing if your your goals are aligned. Mm -hmm. And if you could imagine little me going from, having an actually a really good time with this guy to a hysterical, ugly cry that I had to squat Mm -hmm. down on my walk within 30 seconds. And this poor man had no fucking clue what happened. He didn't know that my ex and I were trying to have a baby and he left me when I, you know, during that process and he didn't know any of this stuff. So I explained, I I didn't explain on the day. I just said, I'm so sorry. Like I've struggled with infertility. This is clearly something I'm not ready to talk about. He apologized. He felt terrible. Such a sweet guy. We continued our our walk, our date. I felt so embarrassed. And he texted me after and said, hey, I'm so sorry. I did not mean to push a really painful button for you. I had the best time with you. I think you're such a phenomenal woman. In whatever capacity you can handle, I want us to be in each other's lives. He's a good man. And I told him it was too soon, right? And I said, I wanted to test the waters. Everybody kept telling me that I should date. 
I'm not ready. And he wrote me back, well, I'm really honored I got to be the first. (laughs) (laughs) And I would really like it if we could be friends. That is the definition of a good man. So now Mm -hmm. a year later, it's been a year since then, I think. Yeah. Well, not quite a year. Um, Actually, it was a year because he was at Thanksgiving at my house last year, which was a week after our date. I was like, well, for just friends and you don't have a place to go, come to Thanksgiving. So now we've known Mm -hmm. each other a year. We're great friends. And that's what a real, you know, grown up, emotionally mature person should do is a reaction to you telling them that you're not ready or you're a survivor of abuse or anything else. Their reaction should be, I still love you. I I love you the same. I love you the same as I always have, or I accept you, or I want to continue with you, or let's just be friends or whatever. And then adversely, I had a second date in my year and a half-ish since he's been gone. And my second date, I went on a couple dates with him. And he asked me on the first date, which was really random, if I posted to TikTok ever. Mm. And it's funny because, you know, he didn't know my last name. But if your phone number is in someone's phone and they're on that app, chances are it's going to serve you up their content. And we had, you know, a great first date and we had planned a second date and he had asked me if I posted on TikTok. And in my mind... Like, it was like a game show. It was like I had some game show host who was like, okay, Ashley, here we go. We've got two doors. One, we're going to just play it off as nothing. And door number two, we're going to just be honest and rip this Band-Aid off way earlier than we expected to rip it off. I went with door number two because I can't lie. I just can't. I'm clearly an open book. And I told him I post about domestic violence, which was met with some crickets. Mm-hmm. And he said, what do you mean? What do you talk about? And I said, I talk about narcissistic abuse. And he said, "What is okay, so talk to me about this whole narcissism thing. Everybody everywhere is talking about narcissism. I explained narcissism. He didn't really entirely seem to get it. He was like, people do that to other people? Which in my mind, I was checking off boxes. I'm like, okay, well then maybe you're not a narcissist. <laughs> or maybe you're gaslighting me. Long, right. story, long story short, after we had another date planned after that one where we were where I explained to him what I post and and he said this happened to you and I said it did but I'm here because I'm ready and I'm hanging out with you more because I like you and I'm good but this is something that I have to deal with and that Mm -hmm. inevitably anyone I'm in a relationship with is going to have to deal with Mm -hmm. date went fine we planned another date when we left and so we were going to go paddleboarding. So a couple of days later, he'd been texting me all along. Kind of like dropped off the night before, which was weird because he always texts goodnight. And we've been texting now for like a month and a half. And so I didn't get a goodnight text. And I was like, oh, okay, well, whatever. Didn't hear from him in the morning. We had plans to go paddleboarding. And I got a random text that said, hey, so I think let's, we're not going to go paddleboarding today. But maybe someday mm-hmm. in the future, you can take me for vegan ice cream. And I know that most likely all of this, the podcast, me posting, was probably too much for him. Yeah. And that's okay, right? Because the person who's my person, if there is a person, and sometimes I go back and forth between like, I'm never dating again, which by the way, we hear that a lot. And let's talk about that. Um, But my person would be strong enough to be like, babe, I'm so proud of you. I am proud of the work that you're doing to create exposure for all of this. My therapist asked me, what did you say? 
Like, how did you respond? Did you say, are you okay? Because he's canceling your plans. Did you ask him, okay, do you want to do it another time? And I said, no. My trauma response was nothing. Mm-hmm. She was like, so you ghosted him after all that you know about ghosting and how awful it is and how painful and manipulative and all this stuff? And I said, well, let's not say I ghosted. Let's say I went into freeze mode. Mm-hmm. I had nothing to say. I didn't know what to say. So I said nothing. I've never heard from him again. Totally fine. Bye. Go away. Yeah. I don't need you in my life. But let, yeah. let's talk about, sorry, that was a long story. But no. there's, there's going to be all of these crazy experiences that we have. And... I do quickly want to talk about, this might be the world's longest episode, but I love it. But let's talk about the, I don't want to date anymore mindset. Yeah. <laughs> because, right? Because I, I mm-hmm. falter in and out of that one too, but I, I know you hear this a lot and I hear this a lot on social media. You know, we're, we're hearing these stats about how single women are the happiest subset of individuals and we're not saying that this is just women who are abused men are abused as well and I know there's a lot of men who are writing off women but the numbers show that more women are writing off men than the other way around and there are a lot of people who just simply after abuse say I'm not doing this anymore talk to me a little bit about your your opinion or your thoughts on this subject of I'm never dating again Well, I will say first, I definitely went into that mode right out of abuse. That was the first stage for me was I'm never dating again. I am going to live a happy single life. And that's totally fine to the point where I had people older than me saying you're young and you will change your mind. But like, I think that's part of the journey. And if you're in a mindset like I will never date again, that means you're probably not ready to date right now. You know, and I think that that's okay. But I think that eventually the idea should, we should get into a place of balance and not extreme because extreme is almost never the answer. Right. Um, It's okay to have healthy skepticism for other people because, you know, some people don't have your best interest in mind. And that's just true. But as you heal, maybe opening your mind to the idea that there are exceptions to the rule, right? Of course, because we're here. We're here and we don't abuse people. And we made it. So there have to be people for us out there. Um, So it's it's about not settling. And, And actually to what you were saying about dating is I don't really look at that like ghosting. And maybe it wasn't, I mean, it is ghosting. Okay, but I don't look at it as manipulative or abusive. What do you owe these people? Right. Okay, I'm not saying someone that you've been with for years and years and you just abandon them with no explanation. But you went out on one date with this guy and he last minute canceled and it's kind of rude and it's too early in a relationship to be doing that. So I don't know if that's my boundary or not, but. I'm pretty close to there too. I'm pretty close to the fed up mark. So if you don't respect my time or energy within that, this immediate stage of dating, we have nothing left to discuss. And it's not like we have this deep, meaningful friendship that we need to maintain. So me not responding to you, like we don't owe people. And I think that we come out of abuse before the abuse, I think a lot of things that make us susceptible to abuse is this obligation that we feel towards other people over this obligation to ourselves. Right. So 
if you do your healing and you're not ready to date yet, consider that once you've, you've developed that awareness of self, that you're not, you're obligated to yourself, you can date. You can date because you can trust yourself that you will put your needs into account instead of somebody else's needs above yours. Yeah. And, and for me personally, I think saying you don't want a relationship is okay. Mm-hmm. I think saying you do want one is okay. And like you said, the balance, you know, finding that balance. For me, it's finding yourself in that place where you're okay with yourself you're okay with being alone, but you're also okay with whatever comes along. That mm-hmm. for me is the goal. It's not indifference. It's just saying I'm enough. I know I'm enough. And either somebody's going to recognize that and come into my life and want to be a part of all of this, or guess what? Maybe they're not. And if they're not, I'm going to be fine because we survived the most difficult thing any human being can experience. Emotional mm-hmm. warfare is the most difficult thing that anyone can go through. And mm-hmm. I, I will die on that hill. You know, there, there's a lot of loss, a lot of change in life that we all have to struggle through. Nothing is like domestic violence because of what we talked about earlier. All the different ways that it changes you and attacks you as a person along with grieving the other person. It's just the hardest thing. But I think... Not going into it hungry is important because if you feel like you need another relationship, Mm -hmm. then you still have healing to do, right? Mm -hmm. If you need another person to complete you, then that means you're not, you're not whole on your own. And let's also dispel this idea that in order to date, you need to be completely healed. We are Mm -hmm. never going to be completely healed. No one is ever going to be completely healed, right? Mm -hmm. But self-awareness, like you said, is what's important. If you're self-aware and you trust yourself, then you're ready. That's when you're ready. I also feel like you're ready when you don't feel like you need it. Mm -hmm. Right? Because then you trust yourself. Yeah. I completely agree with everything that you said. First sign is if you are going into this hungry, you're not filled. Right? You're right. You have to make sure that that codependency piece, otherwise you're really susceptible to, because you're, because I don't want to say desperate, but because you're in the place of need of another human, you will have more weight. Your boundaries will be less firm because you need something from them. You're not whole on your own. So I think that's really important that you touched on that. Well, and let's be realistic. The stats show that most people who have been in an abusive relationship enter into another one. Yeah. And the the reason that you know that that happens is because we are so we're lonely, we're confused, we're sad, we're grieving and somebody else is a perfect distraction. Mm-hmm. The, the work of healing is fucking hard. It sucks. It's so hard. And that's the other thing you said that was just so spot on. This you need to be healed in order to be worthy of love is crap. Yeah. You know, it's again that you are who you are and you are where you're at. And the only person that is your person will be okay with that. That's just how it works. Um, Your healing is your responsibility, of course. But your person, just like Ashley and I said, with social media, 
you don't like that we talk about abuse on social media, like our, our person's just not going to have a choice but to be okay no. with it because we do. Like yeah. we're on social media talking about abuse. So you have triggers. Okay. We all do. And it's about a, like you said, awareness, being aware that this is a me thing right now, not a you thing. I'm feeling triggered and I'm trying not to take it out on you right now. But when you did this, it made me feel this way. I'm working out from my end, but could you approach it in this way differently? You're going to need a partner that's patient and that will help you heal and grow. And you're not ready until you're ready for the opposite too for them to have mm-hmm. triggers remember it they've got their own baggage so until you're ready for them to say hey don't compare me to this person or i'm not like this person or you did this and it bothered me if you're not ready to hear that then you're mm-hmm. not ready you know we have to be ready to deal with their shit too because mm-hmm. we're so worried we're abuse survivors going into a relationship and what are what baggage are we bringing in that's so much bigger than theirs mm-hmm. well guess what? It may not be. They have their own trauma. Everybody does. I mean, good luck finding somebody trauma free. If you find them, let me know. But right, honestly, everybody has trauma. So I think think it's also helpful to have a therapist while you're dating after abuse. Yes. I will tell you that's why I got into therapy. That first year out of abuse, I didn't date. I just worked on myself. I worked on my habits. I worked on my hobbies. I read self-improvement books and I did my own thing and I healed. And then a year and a half later, I started dating and all of a sudden it was like trigger, trigger, trigger. And I was like, oh man, I need to get into therapy. So I have somebody to work through these triggers with because I don't want to make my partner my therapist either. No. And have to talk to them for 10 hours about this trigger. Like, I I want to have an outlet for that. And so I went to therapy and it really, really helped me through the dating after abuse process. Yeah. And I, I think we focus a lot on boundaries, that we set those boundaries, healthy boundaries with other people. I'm feeling a lot lately, like meet me where I'm at. And if you can't, mm-hmm. I'm not saying that I'm not willing to compromise. I am. But if somebody can't meet me where I'm at right now, like this is where I'm at, then sorry. And that that applies for everybody in my life right now. And not everybody likes it. They just don't. But yeah. I think that the boundaries thing that we all work on, the saying goodbye to codependency, letting go of that people-pleasing feeling, and we're working on boundaries, we also have to be very clear on how we're setting those with ourselves in relationships. Yeah. We need to set some very clear boundaries with ourselves. I am not going to let go of my friends. I'm not going to let go of my habits. I'm not going to let go of the things I love to do. I'm Mm -hmm. not going to jump if somebody says, let's do this right now. Remember, Mm -hmm. these are the things that got us into trouble. We were so willing to give our whole lives over to this person that we loved so much. And they Mm -hmm. took advantage of every fucking second of it. So setting boundaries for ourselves. You know the person might have next Tuesday off and you arrange your schedule just to be available in case they ask you to hang out. You know, that's that's codependency. That's your red and flag. Yes, that's a red flag in you. And we have red flags too. Yeah. And I I think it's I pay attention to the red flags in me as much as in other people. If my anxious attachment is flaring up or my codependency is flaring up. I need to be doing some checking, some work. Is it the environment? Is it me? What's going on here? Yeah. 
And that that's, I think that's where those lessons are. That's where healthy dating comes in. When you are still able to put yourself first, when you're not waiting, like, well, I'm not going to make plans on Saturday because I want to see if they want to hang out with me. Right. Stop. If you're stop. not, stop. Because if that's where you're at, then you're not ready. Because when you're ready, you're going to make your plans on Saturday. And if they ask you or not, if it fits into your schedule, great. Then you mm-hmm. do it. If they want to come along with you, great. Or wh- whatever it is. But we have to stop putting our lives on hold for the possibility that somebody is going to want to spend time with us because that's breadcrumbing. We're breadcrumbing yes. ourselves. So mm-hmm. let's just stop that. Let's, let's look at putting ourselves first. And then I like to say like dating is like the icing on the cake, right? Like I, I actually like cake without icing. My life is great. You do. Right? You do? I love it. Yeah. Icing is kind of gross. But anyhow, yeah. um, you know, we, we know that we can take care of ourselves mm-hmm. and we know that we can deal with our triggers and that we have resources and tools. And I'm not saying that I don't want a partner. I do very much but I don't need it. I, I need them in ways that they complement my life, right. not that they fill up my bucket in the same way because now I know how to fill it up for myself when before mm-hmm. I was always waiting to see when somebody else was going to help me. Mm-hmm. So I think if we start asking ourselves those questions, instead of always asking everybody else and looking to everyone else for the answers, the more we can check in to your point with ourself, mm-hmm. how am I doing on this one? Am I giving myself a, like a one to 10? Am I at a zero or am I actually like doing okay? Am I like at a seven in terms of choosing myself in these moments? Checking in with ourself, I think is, at least for me, looks like the key to successful dating whenever I decide to do that again. It's not going to be today. Yeah, I love that. Cool. All right, well, maybe we just leave it there. Um Oh, you know, conversations with Kat are just so great, which is why I have them all the time. And unfortunately, you don't get to be uh, included in them all because there's some pretty great nuggets that come from this one. So true. Yeah. So I ask every guest at the end, which I know that you've answered this question before. I ask everybody, what's the best piece of advice? So I guess today's would be, what's the best piece of advice in your new beginning? In your new beginning. I think that consistency is the best thing you can do for yourself. You know, it's it's not about working out one day for 12 hours. It's about working out three times a week for 20 minutes or 30 minutes, right? right. So healing, starting new is a consistency thing. It's not about doing a ton of things today. It's but what's one thing I can do towards my healing today? What's one lesson I learned in boundary setting today? What's one more coping tool I learned today? What's one thing I can do for my mind today? What's one thing I can do for my spirit today? It's just consistency. It's just consistency. Yep. And that's what wins the race. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for joining us today. I adore you. I know that you know that. I just I think the world of you, Missy. And I adore you too. Thanks. And thank you for the listeners for hanging in there with us. It's a long episode, but it's like she and I could just talk for hours. I could keep, yeah. I could just keep this going. But And I'm sure we'll 
chat a little bit after. Anyways, if you like today's episode, please leave us a positive review because the more positive reviews we get, the more possibilities we get to be heard by people who need this information. You can find Kat on social media at Kat Kleiss and Stand Coaching is her coaching business. And from just the bit you heard today, I'm sure that you can tell that she is a great help to her clients who are navigating this world of a new life. So just want to reiterate one more time, new beginnings are what we make of it. And it can be hard. It can be a struggle. And just because you fall down or you feel like you took a step backwards, it doesn't mean that you have lost traction. It doesn't mean that you are not moving forward into this beautiful life that you deserve. And know that I see you and Kat sees you and we send you so much love. And I tell you all the time, hang in there. You got this. We'll be back soon with another episode of the Narc and Me. And until then, just know that you are loved so much. Happy New Year, my friends.